Coming up on golf today, a winner at long last. Jody Ewart Shadoff joins the show after her first LPGA win after more than a decade on tour. What kept her fighting and believing after all these years? And what is next? Now we get our caps and gowns ready and meet two grads from the Epson Tour. They made the right moves and are ready to make their mark on the LPGA in 2023. And the stars are out in Japan. We have press conferences coming your way and ask a very important question. Who needs to have himself a week at the Zozo looking for a little heat on golf today? Golf today. Golf today on a Tuesday. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week Magazine. Golf going on all over the globe. Simple question, how are you, my friend? I was good. I came in here full of the joys of spring, although it's autumn. <laughs> on here, you know, I had the joie de vivre when I walked in today. I didn't have Anna Jackson trolling me as she did on the show yesterday. <laughs> And then I sit down and find out that you're going to do the same. Well, there's some hardware. I, I do have some hardware. There's been like a story, a theme developing that I can't get it done in a, in a, in a big spot. You know, I finished what runner-up in my B-flight tennis tournament. I finished runner-up at at Pebble Beach. This is the 21st annual Golf Classic Rock Rimmon Country Club. Kind of on that uh, Connecticut New York border in Stamford. Well, I actually finished first. In the mixed flight competition, alongside Caitlin Urka of NBC, Celia Cole, Jamie Palatini as well. So this is going on my mantle, and my mantle, Eamon, is getting crowded. I, this has been a good time in my sporting life, I, I must say. I, I hope you're proud of you. This is like taunting a starving man with a cheeseburger <laughs> here, and, and yet you have no shame in doing it. I want to know, you named yeah. three other people who were on this team. What percentage did you contribute to the victory? Mm. I have to try to drag good you down question. to my level here, Damon. More than 25%. I'm hitting the ball hard right now. It, it's been it's been fun. I hit a heavy ball, especially in the fall when the temperatures start to drop. You know, I'm, I'm been able to lean into my tee shots quite a bit. I find a lot of comfort right now on the tee box. You understand what it's like to have comfort on the tee box? Wow, you're a cruel, <laughs> cruel man, Damon. Hi. Did you give any advice to Tiger at the weekend? Speaking of which, I, I did hang out with the 15-time major champ. In fact, the, the Tiger Tracker back in business. We did have a Tiger sighting over the weekend. This was posted. On Twitter on Sunday, Tiger hitting wedges at the hay. That's the new par three course he redesigned at Pebble in support of his TGR Junior Invitational presented by Taylor Maid. And had a good time with the big cat, spent some time with him, uh, asked him some questions for TGR Live. Then we had the 60 boys and girls at a dinner, and he tweeted at me. It was a great night indeed, and he wished good luck to the finalists at Spanish. Bay. Just a wonderful time hanging out uh, with Tiger. A fun day. And these young people, Eamon, so impressive on their way to, to college. Some, you know, just the beginning of their journey in the game. Yeah, it looked like a fun and very fascinating weekend out there. I'm curious, the first question people are go going to want to know is how physically robust mm. did Tiger look in terms of his health and well-being? Yeah, I walked onto the range, and the first uh, glimpse I had at him, he looked very, very strong physically. You know, he was doing some stretching. He was early in the morning, but he looked physically like Tiger Woods. He has not been missing uh, a chest day, an arm day. I can tell you that. I'm sure he's doing everything he can also to continue to work on his lower body, but he looked very good. He looked firm, fit, and in fighting shape. And uh, we have not seen the last of Tiger Woods. I, I can tell you that he looked very, very strong and was in a good mood as well. And that looks like the kind of setting where Tiger's going to be much more 
engaged than he is in some kind of run-of-the-mill golf conversation. When he starts talking about those kids, his foundation, what the goals are, he always seems a little more amped up than he does in yeah. a lot of other settings. It's not lip service. I mean, he was out there early with these kids, taking pictures, giving advice. And we always talk about his record as a golfer. He's as prideful as the fact that he went to Stanford and that in his home he was a student before athlete. And he's telling these stories to these kids, many who will be the first ever in their family, Eamon, to go to college. And he was talking about, hey, this is what I used to do, walking to school and skateboarding in the rain and doing whatever I had to do to be a good student and then to go to the golf course and play golf with his dad. I mean, he was very, very prideful and still is about his educational journey as much as his golf journey. And his new learning lab, is I should say relaunched learning lab, mm -hmm. is going to open once again in the fall. It's got the STEM education and the computers and a new building, a new design, and all these opportunities for these young people, some on their way to Colorado and Yale and Howard. I met a young man, Bear Huff, who's going to go to Howard University in D.C. So these are, are young people who are getting an opportunity to get a first glimpse at someone who has dedicated his life to hard work, whether it's on the golf course or in the classroom. That's what I was just picking up on what you said. It seems to be the focus very much on the concept of a work ethic wherever it's applied, whether yeah. in athletics or academics. Yeah, it really is. And he was very, very giving of his time. And the kids are, are out there running around. And he got, you know, an autograph was given to every kid. But I was just so impressed. And I've covered Tiger for more than 20 years now and been in situations with him before. But the fact that he continued to emphasize education. He told a Kobe Bryant story, and Kobe used to say, you know, what are you willing to sacrifice to be great? And, and here's Tiger, and the room is just, it's quiet as he's talking about, you know, how he would work out on, on the, the eve of the third round or finishing his second round, I should say, at Pebble Beach at that 2000 U.S. Open. And there was a story about him being in the gym before that round. And, and Tiger said, well, you know what? I actually went on a three-mile run <laughs> before I was in the gym before completing that second round on that Saturday morning. So it, it was those kinds of stories, and it was rinse and repeat from the morning to the evening how important education is. And, and I'll tell you what, he has lived a full life. He's had some remarkable ups and downs, but to see him at this time of life as a father, joyful and inspiring this next generation, not just of golfers, but of young people, it was very, very impressive. Did he at any point lean into you and tell him where we're actually going to see him next on the golf course, Damon? He did not. He did talk about Charlie a little bit, and everybody's asking about Charlie's game and Charlie continuing to become a, a wonderful young person and golfer. I would be surprised if we didn't see him twice in December. At the Hero, where we've so often seen his comebacks through the years, very flat golf course in the Bahamas. It's a small gallery, small field. It seems like it'd be the perfect place for him to kind of restart looking ahead to 2023. And obviously one of the most important tournaments to him on his calendar is the PNC Championship in Orlando where he played with Charlie. So I think that's where we're going to see him next, both in Bahamas and in Orlando. That's well, my thought. We know, we know Charlie runs the schedule in the fall, so let's <laughs> hope that is where we see him. Just one more uh, piece of inspiration for Tiger Woods. And speaking of Tiger, let's take you get back to an amazing moment. At the 2019 Zozo Championship, he finished off the tournament with a final round 67 was weather delayed, you might recall, finished on a Monday, and with the win, Tiger captured his 82nd PGA Tour victory tying Sam Sneed for the all-time PGA Tour wins record. And the Zozo returns to Japan this week, a look at the notables in the field and their tee times. I'll tell you what, fantastic field. Hideki defending champ won by five last year, part of the 8.34 p.m. Eastern time, and then you got that uh, 
940 group headlined by the hottest player in the game 20 year old Tom Kim two wins and four starts on the PGA Tour and that star turn at the President's <coughs> Cup. So my question Amy Lynch to you you've gotten my golf out of the way who, who needs a big week in Japan. The guy we just saw in the first tee time there to me Victor Hovland mm. strikes me as needing it because we last saw him and actually he played in Italy a couple of weeks ago but Victor Hovland had the lead for two of the three rounds that were played in the BMW Championship at Wentworth. Led going into the final round, shot 70, finished three back Shane Lowry. He was tied with Rory McIlroy, four ahead going into the final round, mm. the Open Championship, St Andrews, shot 74, fell away there. And, you know, the, those were two top tens for Victor Hovland. They're the only top tens he's had on tour since he tied ninth at the Players' Championship back in March. At that Players' Championship, Victor was number three in the world. He's currently down to number 11 mm. in the world. And to me, he just seems as though he's on a little bit of a slide. And it's an interesting to see how hot he was as a player almost a year ago. You know, he won at Mayakoba. He won the Hero. He then started this year winning in Dubai. Uh, he was second at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Yeah. And then that top 10 of the players. He was indisputably in the top five in the world. And it's been a slide since then. And it all seems to be kind of the same issue with Victor Hovland. If you look at his performance... There are certain areas where Victor Hovland is just routinely solid. You look at his ball striking off the tee and his approach game, he's perennially top 25, top 15, top 10 in those categories. The putting has shown a remarkable improvement over the last couple of years from 115th mm. to 25th last season. This is his first start of this season on the PGA Tour. But that around the green number is uh, sort of a, the bane of his existence. Still 191st. At one point during last season, Victor Hovland was ranked dead last in that category on tour, 213th. So he improved a little bit over the remainder of the year. It just seems to be the, the part of the game that he doesn't have quite 100% confidence in. And often at that level, that's all it takes is just that little bit to be off. To me, he's the kind of guy, he's had a couple of chances yeah. to win in the second half of the year kind of hasn't gotten it done in a high-profile way. Hitting a reset button a year after he really dominated the fall last year, I think, would be a welcome sight. Doesn't have a lot of room for error, margin for error with his short game, and he's talked about it. He's even said, my short game sucks. I mean, that was a, a direct quote. It's something he's worked on, but he's going in the wrong direction in that stat. And on the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, I mean, that's, that's to me where these guys make their money. It's saving shots around the greens. Of course, he doesn't miss that many greens compared well, to a lot true. of other guys. You know, it's, Jack was never known as a great chipper. Yeah. Jack didn't have to be a great chipper yeah. at some points. But to me, it's a, it's a part of the game, clearly, he's working on. He's not making as much progress as yeah. he probably wants to. But a lot of this is confidence yeah. as well. And the confidence he had a year ago or even six months ago clearly isn't there right now. I think he's taken a couple of body blows between mm. Wentworth and, and St. Andrews, and it would be good to see if he can actually hit a reset button here. But, you know, there's a lot of people in this game looking to hit a reset button this week. Including another Oklahoma State Cowboy, and that's Ricky Fowler, who finished tied for sixth in Napa at the Fortinet. And then he misses the cut in Las Vegas, where his, you know, old and new coach Butch Harmon lives. He missed the cut by two shots in, on the same week where his former caddy, Joe Scavron, with Tom Kim, wins the tournament. And I think Ricky is someone who needs back-to-back -back good weeks, needs a good month, needs a good stretch of golf, someone who has kind of been fighting on that 125 border seemingly for the last couple of seasons. And I just think that the competitor in him 
knowing that he didn't play the weekend in the same city where his coach lives and works and where his former caddy's on the back for the guy who did win, that has to be a disappointing feeling just as a competitor, especially when you had had some momentum after a top 10 finish in California. Uh, it was striking to me that Ricky, I mean, he didn't shoot a, a horrible number. He, he was a couple, couple under par yep. in, in Vegas. It was a low scoring tournament, a lot of low birdies out there. But one would assume that he saw Butch last week yeah. since Butch is based in Las Vegas, doesn't really travel the PGA Tour as much as he used to. So I would have th expected more from Ricky just because Butch is that elixir for Ricky and, and so many of these players because he's as much mm. a psychology teacher as he is a golf swing teacher. Yeah. And I, I expected a little more out of Ricky, but I still think the T6 that he had, the Fortnite Championship in Napa was a, a good sign because Ricky had been a year removed from his last top 10 finishes. He tied third at the CJ Cup when it was played in Vegas yeah. in October of last year when Roy McIlroy won. So it, it was at least a positive sign in the right direction. But, you know, he's working with a fresh caddy. He's working with, yeah. I suppose, a new old teacher yeah. in a sense. But there's a lot of layers of paint you've got to try to scrape away there to get back to the artist that you used to be, I suppose. Yeah. Big week from also his maternal grandfather is from Japan. That's just one more reason to play some good golf this week for Ricky Fowler. All right, folks, when Golf Today returns, we're opening the Xander Shoffley file, Olympic gold medalist from Japan. Speaking of which, yeah, he's back there this week. What is the current state of his game? We discuss next. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Welcome back to Golf Today. Tokyo, capital of Japan, host of the delayed Olympics 2021. One of the great cities in all the world. And yes, the Zozo Championship is back in Japan for the second straight year after being played at Sherwood Country Club in California in 2020. Through the COVID-19 pandemic, defending champ Hideki Matsuyama heads a strong Japanese contingent in the field. More than a dozen members of the Japan Golf Tour are playing this week. So why don't we open up the, the Xander file? Look back at this blossoming career. Eamon 2017 Greenbrier was a rookie, birdied 18, 
on Sunday beat Robert Streb by a shot. His first career win on tour, called himself a late bloomer, said winning on the PGA Tour was a dream come true. And he got a taste for a game, and he went on to win the Turf Championship later that year in 2017. Shot four rounds in the 60s, went 65-68. In the weekend, finished 12 under par, which was one stroke better than Justin Thomas. He would go on to win the PGA Tour Rookie of the Year that year after his two victories and the third place finish in the FedEx Cup standings. Yeah, very cool trophy. A little laugh after kind of leaning that putt in there. It was starting to kind of build a reputation as a bit of a big game hunter. Won the 2018 WGC HSBC Champions in a playoff over Tony Finau. Shoffley birdied on the last two holes of regulation, forced that tie with. Big tone, 14 under, then birdied the first playoff hole. First ever victory in a World Golf Championship event. And showing some strength on the global stage. And it doesn't get much more global than the Olympics. His last time in Tokyo in August of 2021, the delayed Olympics, as a member of the United States men's golf team, he made birdie on the 17th hole Sunday, took a one-stroke lead, and made par at the last. Take the gold medal, finishing 18 under, one stroke better than the pride of Slovakia, Rory Sabatini. That's right. I'm accustomed to rocking the red, white, and blue, representing the United States, including in the Ryder Cup. Was a member of the team at Whistling Straits, went 3-1 and 0, going 3 and 0 in his team matches before losing to Rory on that Sunday, and really kind of. Offered some great post-event moments. Do you remember Amor with the victory cigar, kind of channeling his inner James Bond, became a meme. Just looked like the coolest dude on the property. And we saw that victory cigar a couple of weeks ago again at the President's Cup. Well, earlier this summer in July, he won the Genesis Scottish Open at the Renaissance Club in Scotland. That was his second straight victory on the PGA Tour after the Travelers Championship. Shot seven under, 273, beat Kurt Kiriyama by a single stroke. Par save on the par 317 gave him a two-shot lead, which gave him the room to bogey the last hole. 28-year-old cut the margin to one stroke. But it was yet another title on the PGA Tour. Yeah, remember the conversation was, oh, he's not winning enough. Now he's winning quite a bit. And then last month, member of the victorious President's Cup team for the U.S., he and PC, Patrick Cantlay, were dominant, undefeated in foursomes. This duo quietly becoming a force for the United States. President's Cup, Ryder Cup, a couple young players from Southern California who have known each other since their junior days. They won the Zurich together as well. He's become one of those notable names. Take a look at his tee time, 8.34 p.m. Eastern with defending champ Hideki Matsuyama in England's Tyrrell Hatton as well. Let's hear from Xander in Japan with the media. Xander, three-win season last year. What are the expectations for this new season? Do you do you up your goals, and is the victory cigar going to be something that you do in the future again? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the cigar has kind of been a team thing. I was happy I wasn't the only one smoking them this time around. Um, yeah, it's uh, like I said, I haven't really had a whole lot of time. You know, I, I had a very good season last last year, I guess. I mean, same year, but last season, and um, just going to try and you know currently feed off of that just for this one. Uh, this is probably going to be the only event I play this year. Uh, for the for the PJ Tour schedule and um, definitely looking forward to some downtime and kind of reassessing and, and, and looking back at sort of what I did and what I didn't accomplish. Hi Zander, um, what do you make of um, LIV Golf's attempts to to get their players um, rankings uh, ranking points in the world rankings? 
Um, uh, I don't really know. I haven't really thought a whole lot about it, to be completely honest. Uh, I think it's something that's was to be expected. Um, they're, you know, starting up their own tour, and to legitimize themselves, they need world ranking points. Xander, I think you uh, visited the Zozo Town fan village yesterday and, and went to that Make-A-Wish booth, I think, and, and you wrote something down. Maybe just share with us what exactly you wrote and, and, and what yeah, was it all about? Um, those, those kid games were very difficult. I was, unfortunately, I think it was streamed, so you saw how poorly I competed in the kid games. Um, hopefully, the ch children today uh, performed a lot better than I did, but... Um, yeah, I just wrote down my wish. Typically in the U.S. we don't share our wishes, but I guess I had to hang it up there. I just said, you know, if I could make one wish for the week, it'd be to win this tournament. And and being your fourth time here or third time here in, in Narashino, what does it take to, to, to make sure that you're up there giving yourself a chance on Sunday? Um, a, lo a lot of things. The course is very hard. Uh, the conditions are, you know, the, fortunately the weather's going to be awesome for the most part, um, but... There's, there's probably five par fours out here that are very difficult that we play um, every day. And if you can kind of, you know, go through those holes for, for the week, maybe close to a level par, and you can just play the rest of the course how you're supposed to play it, you're going to have a pretty good chance. And lastly, from me, can you just maybe elaborate a little bit more about Maya's family ties with Japan? And, and, and I think you have some plans after this week as well, and, and maybe just share where you're going to and, and what you'll be up to. Yeah, um, my yeah, my wife. She's uh, half Okinawan, half half white, and um, she uh, her mom was born in Okinawa, or, or I think her mom was yeah. Maya was born in Okinawa. My wife and her mom's from Miyakojima, so I'm actually gonna go visit um, my I guess I don't even know how I'd call it now. My wife's grandparents. Um, I, I don't know. There's probably a, a way to say it. I'm not sure, but. My wife's grandparents. I've never met them, um, so I'm very excited to go spend a couple nights in Miyakojima. We're going to fly out of Haneda to Miyakojima for two or three nights after the tournament. Hopefully, yeah. I'm sure that would make him very happy. And unless any others, I'll wrap it up with um, Friday or Thursday and Friday. Be playing in along with Hideki's group. What's that energy like feeding off of each other? Uh, it's great. I've played with Hideki um, a lot, I'd, I'd say, in my career so far. And um, him and Shota are a great team. Uh, we always have a lot of fun. And um, yeah, it'll be, I'm sure the crowds will be pretty big and um, pulling, pulling for, I mean, obviously him a lot, but you know, I'm sure I have uh, my loyal family support out there uh, pulling for me along the way. Olympic gold medalist in Japan and family ties as well. His grandparents live in Japan. His mom grew up in Japan, wife from Okinawa, as he mentioned. So you have to think that it's just special being back in Tokyo this week, competing in the Zozo Championship, making his season debut. Take a look at his history doing just that. T3 at the CIMB Classic back in 2017-18. Also that fifth during that fall US Open at Wingfoot, the West course. How about this player, Xander Shoffley, Eamon? Because for a while, he was criticized as not winning enough. He's coming off a season where he won three times in some notable events as well. Yeah, that was really the 
the, I suppose the yoke that had been placed around Xander's neck the last few years. He hadn't won since 2018. We kept hearing about it all the time, which in a way is a tribute because he kept putting himself in position yeah. to win so often, particularly in major championships. At one point, he was running at a 50% top 10 rate in career majors without winning them. But last season, I think, put that to rest. He won the Zurich with Patrick Cantley, wins the Travellers, wins the Genesis Scottish Open. And I, I would expect something good out of him this week. I mean, he, he plays a lot in Asia and has a pretty good result in Asia. He's obviously, he's won the gold medal yeah. in Tokyo. He's won the HSBC event in Shanghai. He's been second in that same event. He's been third in, we just saw the CIMB, CIMB which used to be played in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. So he, he's got a great depth of experience. Or he's played this golf course twice as well as one top 10 finish at Accordia. But he, he seems like the guy who now needs to reset the goal. Because I'm sure over the last few years it was winning more on the PGA Tour, and he just said in that press conference where he wants to feed off of last season. But the direction that he needs to feed off of last season and that I'm guessing he's targeting is the major championships. Mm. And, and why not when you consider his record in the majors? Exactly. But his record in the majors was, by his standards, actually a little bit off this mm. year. When you look at where he performed in those four major championships in 2022, he missed the cut at the Masters, and then he went 13th, 14th, and 15th in ties in the other three. Now, that's a pretty darn good year for most people. But these, these last couple of years of results didn't quite reflect the strength that he'd shown before, where, where top fives and top tens were pretty much his standard finish mm. in major championships. That's where he got the reputation of a big game hunter. He hasn't quite hunted that big game yet, though. He had five straight top tens in, in the U.S. Open. He has six top five finishes in major championships compared to Patrick Cantlay, who has three top ten finishes in major championships. Those are the two players, in my mind, who are the best players without a major. It's interesting that they're such good friends and partners so well in President's Cups and Ryder Cups that it seems like the careers are kind of mirroring each other just a little bit. But you're right. I mean, we gave him that big game Hunter moniker pretty quickly when it looked like a major championship was just around the bend for him. And he really, I would say the only shot that comes to mind that he would really want to have back was a couple years ago at the Masters when he was chasing Hideki Matsuyama on the 16th hole on Sunday when he came up short. Missed it really the only place you couldn't miss it. But other than that, his game just seems built for majors. Almost all of his stats are in the top 30, there or thereabouts, off the tee, on the greens. I mean, he's just a player that has very, very few weaknesses. And it seems that the more he has been in the mix of major champions, the more comfortable he has been. And that's really the mystery of Xander Shoffley because you can't really point to a series where the nerves got the better of him, where yeah. you could see him tense up, where he hit the wrong shot or made the wrong decisions. You know, he hit one poor shot, 16 at Augusta. He, he hasn't made a habit of folding right. on Sundays in major championships. He's not going out there and shooting 80 right. when he's in the mix. And then when you look at the, the statistics that you mentioned, they're almost eerily unvarying yes. year to year. Right. If you go looking for the weak spot, we just talked earlier about Victor Hovland's chipping game around the green and how that's a noticeable outlier with yeah. everything else that Victor does. You can't find that yeah. with Xander Shoffley. There is nothing that is blinking neon as a warning light mm. out there at all. There, there's no alarm bells ringing in his game. And he, he seems to have a, a fairly strong attitude as well. He remains pretty even keeled. He doesn't look like a guy who's got a lot of highs and lows, and to me that's the inexplicable part of why he hasn't gotten one of those majors yet, other than the fact mm. that they're hard to win <laughs> and you're up against the best players in the world yeah. all the time. But he's been there so often, 
for so many years now, probably what, the last five, six years, he's been a consistent top five, top ten finisher in major championships. Even in his bad years, mm. he's three top 15s yeah. in majors. I just, I'm impatient to see what he does heading into the next major championship season. He doesn't have to answer the questions mm. about not winning enough. He's clearly proven that he deserves his spot in the top five in, in, in the world, top ten in the world consistently. Let's see what he does in those majors next year. I think he's got to have L.A. Country Club, you know, not far from where he grew up in San Diego, circled for next year in the U.S. Open. I love his wedge or play, so Patrick by the play. way. <laughs> so does Patrick. I mean, they'll, they'll fight over it. I, I think they would sign up for that right now if it was a Sunday duel between those two uh, good friends from Southern California. Yeah, I mean, that, that's to me, that may actually be the major I'm most looking forward to. Yeah. Next year of all, what Gilhans did with his, his redesign of that golf course was epic. You don't often see major championships played in the heart of urban areas. Yeah. That's going to be a special one. Speaking of guys from Southern California, John Cook, our pal, on the call this week at Seminole for the Jackson T. Stevens Cup. We get his take following day one action and take a walk down memory lane as we're reliving some of Cookie's finest moments as an Ohio State Buckeye. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. Welcome back to Golf Today. The LPGA announcing today that Hanwha, global business conglomerate based in the Republic of Korea, will serve as title sponsor for the Hanwha Life Plus International Crown. Team match play competition, an event that showcases the best female golfers from the top eight countries across the globe, will return to the LPGA Tour calendar for the first time since 2018 and be held at San Francisco's famed TPC Harding Park, May 4th through the 7th, 2023. I remember this event. I enjoyed it. Remember Spain winning in 2014, the celebration, Saganda, Munoz, Mofo, and Rikari, U.S. getting it done 2016, Eamon, 2018, South Korea. I mean, you want to talk about a lineup. Inji Chun, I.K. Kim, S.H. Park, So Young Yu getting it 
done. I'm glad to see it back. I enjoyed it, especially as a showcase for the South Korean golfers who, you know, pound for pound are the best on the globe. And that's the real value of the International Crown Tournament. We see every other constituency in golf represented in team competitions, whether it's American men or women or European mm. or, or international men in the format of the President's Cup. The one group that we don't see represented is arguably the most dominant mm. group in, in all of golf, which is South Korean women. Do you feel that the, the President's Cup should stay as is? There's been a little bit of a, of a quiet push, a scuttlebutt to get the women involved in that. I think I, my, I'll answer their own question is no. I like the President's Cup. I think Trevor and company have put their heart and soul into it. But I do think the, the women need some sort of vehicle to showcase themselves outside the LPGA. I'm sure Trevor's, you know, tossing some peanuts at the TV back home in Orlando right now because I'm with you on this one. I would change the format mm -hmm. of the President's Cup. You would. Make it uh, the international men and women. I think it makes it a, a much more evenly matched fight, and which mm -hmm. is not... You know, it's, that's not to diminish the fight that international teams have put up. But when you have the run of results hmm. that we've had for so long, it's, you can't keep waiting for a, a result to turn that makes it more competitive than it is. And it, it's frankly not competitive enough. And I think it is a real grow the game venture. We talk a lot of people these days who are paying lip service to the idea of growing the game. That's one way you could actually make an impact. Can you imagine having... Uh, someone like a, a Danielle Kang mm. playing off the, the tee shots of a, of a Colin Morikawa or a Jordan Spieth or, or vice versa in alternate shot format when you see just how good all of these players actually are. And I think if you broaden it out to become a co-ed event, mm. I think it becomes infinitely more interesting overnight. I think maybe you make a, a different uh, additive product as opposed to changing the product. I do think Canada will be extremely important to the future of the President's Cup. Because if we have another result, and this one was, I think, closer than the score indicated. I thought that Saturday and Sunday had some drama. The internationals winning the, the Saturday day. But, but I think you're right. If, if something doesn't change, you know, in 2024, it might be difficult yeah. to keep saying, let's keep doing this again. But I feel as though we've been saying that every two years. We do. For years. Do. And that at a yeah. certain point, a change has got to be made. So why not be co-ed in Canada and yeah. change it? before then, because it, it really does feel like a stuck record in the sense of we, we get some drama, we get some competition, but we get the same mm. result too often. And I think it diminishes the value of the President's Cup, but when it has the potential to be more than it is right now. Watch this space, as some say. Speaking of team golf, by the way, the college golf season continues this week. Jackson T. Stevens Cup, oh, seminal golf club. Coverage comes your way later today, 3 p.m. Eastern time, right here on Golf Channel, one of the most mesmerizing places in the game. Here's the format. You see mixed stroke play and match play. You got seven teams, men, seven women's as well. 54 holes of stroke play over the first couple of days. Final days, match play based on stroke play team finish. You got the individual champs determined after stroke play, then the team champs crowned after match play. Got 11 individual men and women representing HBCUs and U.S. Service Academies as well. And I think we might have some scores on this Tuesday. North Carolina well out front. Florida State, Stanford giving chase, but my goodness, what a start for the Tar Heels. It helps when one of their players, David Ford, shot 62 yesterday. Yes. That gives them a little bit of a head start. Went on a crazy run 
of birdies. Take a look at the women. Uh, Wake Forest, what a program they have. Stanford, Duke, SC, some of the teams we're, we're used to seeing perform well in the college game. And our own John Cook, part of the broadcast dream team. Seminole and Cookie had quite a college career and quite a head of lettuce as well, accepting a scholarship to attend the Ohio State University. He was a member of the 79 national championship team. And you want to talk about an amateur career just to, to envy. He won the 78 U.S. Amateur, nearly won it again in 79, won the Northeast Amateur and the Sunnahana Amateur twice apiece, three-time first-team All-American from 77 to 79. And there he is, member at that 1979 NCAA championship at Ohio State. For more, let's welcome in Cookie. It's great to see you, buddy. What's it like being at a historic venue like Seminole? I've been a couple of times, but I'm still jealous. You know what, Damon? It is such a special place. I've been here probably a dozen times, played the golf course, love the golf course. Everything about it is great. Uh, I'm a big Donald Ross fan, obviously, and little benign conditions right now. I've never been here when the wind hasn't really been blowing 20 to 25 miles an hour. So these these kids are getting a, a great look at an iconic place, great venue, and the hospitality is off the charts. It's so, so good to be here. John, we see North Carolina has jumped out to a pretty stout lead at this point. When you look at the men's side of the competition, what stands out to you from what you've seen so far? Well, really, just the depth of North Carolina. Yesterday, they, they in the afternoon, they threw out an even par 72 by Dylan Menente, and, you know, the, he's one of their best players. So, you know, they shot 16 under par as a team. Uh, they're off to a good start again today. But you know what? It goes into match play. So they wipe it out tomorrow, and, you know, they'll have to play up against, you know, one of the other teams that's trying to make a run for that second spot. But it was super impressive that they, they showed the depth um, and that's really what college golf is all about, guys, is you, you're going to have your ones and twos, but it's who's that three, four, five, and can they keep you know close to being a counting score and not shoot themselves out of it? Cookie, the golf course is not long by comparison to a lot of golf courses, but the green complexes are tough, it's firm, it's fast, and then David Ford of North Carolina nearly broke the course record, shot that 10 under 60, to what should we know about what was most impressive about that performance that eight hole birdie stretch that he had through you know eight to 16 was just in incredible um and just to keep it going on a golf course like this like you said these greens might be 6,500, 7,000 square feet but they play half that size because donald ross greens are very much saucer like greens where you have to put the ball in the exact right spot um, or it will you know, just wander off the sides of the green. So for him to be putting the golf ball in the right spot, taking advantage of the par fives, uh, was really, really impressive. And he had chances at 17 and 18, too. A really good look. So, uh, you know, just the quality of golf and then to keep it going, you know, for 12 holes in a row was really, really impressive. Let's transition over to the women's side of the competition, John, where Wake Forest is in the lead. What's caught your eye over there? Well, much the same. I mean, Wake Forest, uh, top to bottom, was very, very deep, um, and they, they're holding a commanding lead as well. Uh, Stanford really hasn't, you know, kind of, they haven't you know, put it all together yet. I, I expect them to make a run this afternoon and maybe grab one of those spots. But you know what? There, there's some really, really great young ladies playing out here. It's really impressive. We stood on the first tee, watched them all, all hit 
you know, off the first and the 10th tee, and it's uh, it's very impressive. So, you know, while, you know, Wake might be there, Stanford is right there, South Carolina will be in it, LSU trying to make a run. Uh, it's just really impressive. Cookie, today is the last day of stroke play before the match play portion of the event. What will the challenge be like going to match play tomorrow? Uh, just, you know, getting into that mode and, you know, the golf course will be set up for match play. It'll, it, you don't have to shoot a score. So pars might win some holes out here. <laughs> Bogies might even win some holes. So uh, just the transition on, you know, in, into match play. And, and what the coaches are really looking for, and I touched on it before, are your three, four, and five players you know, going to you know, answer the call in front of the cameras. This is a lot like what it's going to be at Greyhawk uh, next May. And, you know, the coaches are going to see, you know, who – who is that? Who's that lineup going to be? I know it's early in the year, but who who who's going to handle the pressure? You know, coming down the stretch, winning a match when there's cameras around and uh, you know commentators you throwing their ten cents worth in there. Um, but who who can get the job done? So that's great great preview for what we're going to see in May at Greyhawk and the NCAA's at men's and women's. Uh, we're going to see a preview today. John, the president of Seminole Golf Club, Jimmy Dunn, does not mess around when it comes to pace oh. of play, which has been noticeably better this week. Should we just let Jimmy Dunn run every tournament in college golf at this point? Be fine with me. Last week we were at the Blessings, and you know it's a it's a big golf course. They're playing you know fivesomes. It, it took a long time, but that's just kind of the nature of that beast. But here, classic golf course, playing in threes. Um, it, it's just. He, he gets up and goes and you know the first couple groups yesterday morning played in under four hours so that's the way golf could be damon we played enough golf together we giddy up and go absolutely daylight you don't have we to play well just Waste play fast can't shoot just play fast, fast enough <laughs> exactly hey, I can play, I can play bad and play fast too so let's just go play fast <laughs> absolutely all right but if you got a little college knowledge we want to kind of quiz you on your Remarkable amateur days. So, are you game for that, or you got a tea time? You, you got a little time? I got some time. All I'm, right. I'm not sure where I'm going to go with this, but I got some time. All right. Question one: You famously won the '78 U.S. Amateur and then lost in the final in '79. Who were your opponents in those two finals? Uh, well, Scott Hoke in '78, and of course uh, Marco Mera boat raced me in '79 in the finals. So, uh, wow. I can. Now, uh, Kurt, uh, O'Mara throttles Cook in final was the golf world uh, cover. Well, you got and he's got it. You got you got Scott, so you're right, correct. All right, we're going to test the memory a little bit here. John, you were a member of Ohio State's 1979 NCAA title team. Where was that championship played? Uh, it was at Wake Forest, and it was a Bermuda run. Uh, 1979, we ended on Friday, and if you remember that the Friday, the wind was blowing. Um, it was that Friday at Muirfield Village in the Memorial where Tom Watson shot, oh, I think, 69 and beat the field by eight shots. It was that same day, and we had the tail end of that weather. It was not a pretty day, and maybe that's why Ohio State won. We were used to that. You know, we played 36 whole qualifiers in weather like that. Yeah, football weather. Believe this. We're, we think we can catch him out asking him where he played, and he's telling us what the weather was I mean, that day. In a different like a state. Steel trap. Yeah. One more though, before we just you know give you the the trophy. You dominated in defending your Northeast Amateur title in 1979. You're the only player under par. I mean, you were like Tiger at Pebble in the U.S. Open in 2000. What was your margin of victory that week? I believe it was nine. I think the, the next score was plus one and might have been Hal Sutton or Jay Siegel, one of the two. But uh, it was a special week there. Wanna moisten. Hey, 
Donald Ross Golf Course. You know how to play those. So uh, very enjoyable up there at Wanamoisa. Par 69. Um, it, just a wonderful, wonderful amateur event. Your mind is sharp. You're ready for the broadcast, buddy. I mean, you're just <laughs> wide awake. Can't wait for the stories this afternoon, buddy. Thank you, Cookie. You got it. My pleasure, guys. Sorry, oh. sorry about doing my own camera work, too. It's fantastic. Hey, it never looks bad at Juno Beach, buddy. You look fantastic. At the Atlantic Ocean right behind me. <laughs> Enjoy it, buddy. We're only a little bit jealous here in Connecticut. Oh, as mentioned, there it is. Seminole, Juno Beach, host site of this week's Jackson T. Stevens Cup. One of the most prestigious properties in golf that many have never seen in person. Starting to see a little bit more, though, in last few years on television. Designed by Donald Ross, as Cookie mentioned, opened on New Year's Day, 1930. And we host the popular Pro-Am, the Pro-Member, one of the strongest fields annually in golf. Ben Hogan used to winter there, get ready for the Masters, and host that 2020 TaylorMade Driving Relief event, which was wonderful as golf made its way back during the COVID-19 pandemic and the 2021 Walker Cup as well. So time now for our bucket list, and we want to hear from you as well. I mean, bucket list courses, there, there's a zillion to choose from, give or take. Do you have like a place that, I mean, you've played a lot of golf, but where, where haven't you played? Before I quit, I played a lot of golf. <laughs> the, still to this day, on top of my bucket list is a course that I've walked, but never actually played, Royal Melbourne. Mm. Almost, almost 20 years ago, I walked it with Tom Doak, who was a McKenzie aficionado. It was like having a great artist point out all the different layers of what made the Mona Lisa great. And, you know, the, the, in competition, Royal Melbourne's east and west courses are typically played as a composite. We saw that in the President's Cup a couple of years ago. And there's a great story that illustrates just the depth of how good Royal Melbourne is. 1979, Australian PGA Ben Crenshaw played there. And the routing took him past. He had to bypass the 16th hole on the east course to get to his next tee. And when Tom Doak asked him what he thought of Ryan Melbourne, Ben's response was, well, I walked past the greatest par three I've ever seen. Wow. And to me, it was just such a, a beautiful golf course. It was just an intoxicating experience to walk around it. Someday I will get back and play it. I hope to join you because watching the President's Cup there, a few years ago, just seeing the, the holes and the topography and, and how the short game is so important, but there are different ways to play the golf course. We saw some players putting from, from 30, 40 yards away. We saw players chipping using a 60-degree wedge or an old-school bump and run. I, I love golf courses where imagination is, is required and rewarded. Yeah, and I, I remember having a conversation at that time with Mike Clayton, a great Australian golf course architect who played the European Tour for many years. And to this day, Mike says that it was an absolute master class in watching Tiger Woods mm. take that golf course apart by the use of trajectory. He mm. said other guys were playing their stock shots, but Tiger looked as though he had just zoned in on how to use trajectory to play that golf course when it's firm and fast. You know, Mackenzie also designed Augusta National, and he's had a few successes there as well. No question. Five green What's jackets. On your bucket list, though? Yeah, my bucket list, I've played almost everywhere I've wanted to play, which I feel blessed and thankful. Um, one place I haven't played is Pine Valley in southern New Jersey, outside of Philadelphia, and I actually know a handful of members. It's not like if I, if I make a call here or there that I can't get on the golf course, but it's one of those places I've been told it is so difficult. It's very narrow, and if you get in the wrong spot, you, you can make a seven or an eight like that. In the last few months, I've been playing better, 
And I, honestly, I'm, I'm just going to level with you. I feel like I'm, I'm kind of getting the courage and gaining the courage to actually make that phone call to make that bucket list no, 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 course no, no. a reality. No. Well, no, no, let, no, let, no. Me, let me tell you something here, okay. Yeah. You're not ready for Pine Valley, and you're never going to be ready. Uh, Pine Valley. Did we not? Do I need to break the trophy out one more time? That trophy ain't gonna save I you. I mean, this trophy. At Pine Valley, you're gonna get mugged at Pine Valley. It, it's, it's, it's too difficult for me. I mean, should we see it one more time? I mean, the folks that are just joining the show. I mean, this is the this is the hundred black men of Stanford, twenty first annual at Rock Rimmon. I mean, this is this means I'm not ready for Pine Valley though. No, no. I, I, the, the first time I ever played to Pine Valley, I yes. was killing time outside on my phone before I went in, and I saw a tweet from David Feherty telling me that I had a better chance of breaking my leg at Pine Valley wow. than breaking 80. And I hit the ball about as well as I could in my mediocrity. I had a triple, two doubles, and four three putts, and shot 83, and that was absolutely the best I could do. That's not <clears> bad <throat> at all. I would sign up for an 83 right now and be very, very happy. Yeah, but my 83 then, Damon's probably your 91. <laughs> You're <clears> probably <throat> right. Back on golf today, a reminder you can catch live first round coverage of the Zozo Championship from Tokyo, Japan, Wednesday night, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on Golf Channel. Time now to open up the Victor Hovland file, robust file. It is part of that Oklahoma State Cowboy team that won the national championship 2018. That year, the Oklahoma State Cowboys shut out number six Alabama 5-0 in the title match at Carson Creek. That's their home course, difficult club. The win sealed the program's 11th all-time national champ. See those players, five of those players made it to the PGA Tour. In April of the following year, 2019, Victor Hovland also took home the Silver Cup as the low amateur in the 83rd Masters Tournament. Finished the week at three under par, edging Alvaro Ortiz by a single stroke. And as a result of that, he ended the week in Butler Cabin, sitting next Tiger Woods. Was not done. 2019 U.S. Open at Pebble set the record for the lowest scores in amateur at the U.S. Open. Breaking Jack Nicklaus's record with that final round 67, 280. Breaking that record by the Golden Bear in the process. Alan Bratton, coach, on the bag. And it didn't take too long to register success when he moved into the pro ranks either. His first win came the 2020 Puerto Rico Open. This one went in motoring. And with that win, he became the first Norwegian winner in the history of the PGA Tour. Chipped in for Eagle on 15 and made that long birdie at the last edge. Josh Teeter by a single shot. And Holland followed the win in Puerto Rico with another dramatic finish later that year in Mexico. Birdie on the 72nd hole. I mean, kind of familiar. Beat Aaron Wise by a single shot. Found around 65 to finish at 20 under par. What's Norwegian for deja vu all over again, Damon? <laughs> the following year, he became the first player in the history of the Mayakoba Golf Classic to successfully defend the title. Won for the third time on the PGA Tour and set the tournament scoring record in the process. Beginning of this year, claimed his third victory in five events, beating Richard Bland in the playoff Dubai Desert Classic. Really got off to a good start in the new calendar year of 2022. I wonder about his performance in PJ Tour season openers. Let's see how Victor has done. Best finish, you see a T10 at the Greenbrier back in 2019-20. Also had a very nice week at the Fall U.S. Open back in 2020, tied for 13th at Wingfoot. So let's hear from Victor in Japan. Victor, obviously you travel around the world for a living, but is there any, do you do anything differently when you come this far away from the States 
you know, knowing that there's other events going on and, and is your recovery different? What, like, what's different about this week for your prep? And Yeah, normally I've kind of um, made somewhat of a rule to, uh, if I'm traveling overseas and taking on that big of a time difference, kind of made it a, a point to, if I do that, I'm playing two weeks in a row over here. Obviously, I'm not going to do that this week because it's only one event and then going back over to South Carolina next week. Um, so that's a bit too much for the body, I think. Um, but I just love this event. I think the golf course is great. And I, I was just kind of jumping at it to go play. Um, and I, I almost considered playing Shriners as well last week just because I felt like wanting to play. But, uh, again, it's just too much back and forth. Um, but I made a conscious decision of leaving Friday morning uh, from Oklahoma, and I got here Saturday um, just in the afternoon. So I've had some time to get ready, and I'd say after tomorrow, I'm probably in a pretty good spot to, to compete this weekend. Chua? Hey, Vixa. Speaking about food, what's your go-to food in Japan when you visit? Uh, I really like just ramen. Um, yeah, just, yeah, anything with noodles or uh, chow mein or, yeah, just anything, yeah, hot, spicy, a little different. Very nice. And, and you said you've been here since uh, last weekend. Just your thoughts about the golf course, how is it looking, and, and, and what do you think it takes for, for someone like you to make sure that you have a chance coming in on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, what I, I think this golf course suits me well. Um, it's not, if you look at it on paper, it's not the, the longest golf course, but it's, it's weird how it plays because you, you basically have half of the par fours are really short, a driver and a, a short wedge, and then you have some other holes like number nine, number 11, um, 12. Some of those holes where you have to hit a really good drive and then you still have a five or a six iron in. And I think just for the most part, you have to drive it really well. The rough is thick, uh, smaller greens. And especially when they tuck certain of those pins, there's just no way you're going to hit it close if you're coming in from the rough. So you have to drive it well. You have to iron it well. And uh, I think that's, uh, uh, that suits me well. Okay, right here. Andrew. Hi, Victor. Um, LIV Golf have been um, attempting to to get world ranking points by teaming up with um, this small tour in, um, in Africa and the Middle East. Um, Bryson DeChambeau said that it's just delaying the inevitable and that eventually they will get points. W what do you think about it? What's your take on it? So I don't know all the different regulations and how difficult it is to get world ranking points. Um, so I... I just think at the end of the day, if you want to get world ranking points, you obviously have to follow the process. And I think they're obviously making an effort to get those points, but I don't think it's right to to give them an exemption to just get points overnight. Um, they obviously have to follow the process, whatever the process might be. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, they have some really good players over there, and if some of those players drops outside the top 100 in the world, you know, that's, that's not good for the, for the world rankings either. Um, so I, I don't really know what the right answer is, but you can't just make up new rules as you go.
Well, like Victor, defending champ Hideki Matsuyama was asked about Live Golf and whether he is staying on the PGA Tour. Hideki said, yeah, I'm a member of the PGA Tour. Never been prouder, especially last week at the President's Cup. Yeah, I'm fully committed to the PGA Tour. I'm a member. And on whether Liv should earn world ranking points, Hideki said, personally, I think they should be able to. However, there's a procedure that they have to follow, too, with the ranking points. Kind of an answer similar to Victor Hovland. What's your take on what uh, Victor and Hideki had to say? That's a pretty widely held sentiment, <clears throat> excuse me, in the world of golf with, among the top players who accept that there are guys like Dustin Johnson who are playing live golf, who are, are very clearly among the top 25, top 50 ranked players in the world. But this idea that Liv thinks that just simply by forming a tour that they're automatically entitled to those points, that sets a fairly lousy precedent because then any time any band of guys get, decide to get together and form any tour they wish, they would feel entitled to the same points. It's always been very murky the way the world golf ranking operates and in particular its procedures. But there are some fairly widely accepted tenets of how this is done and the process can take up to over a year, mm -hmm. sometimes closer to two years for a tour to be awarded those points. And the live tour application was filed on July 6th of this year. And it was barely a week later before Greg Norman started publicly demanding that he be giving points. And then in September, a bunch of live players sent a letter to the World Golf Ranking insisting that the application be fast-tracked right. for points. And then recently you had this drivel from Bryson DeChambeau last week saying that Liv has met all of their criteria when it's met almost none of their criteria. And some of it's fairly Byzantine in terms of the average field size you have to have over the course of a season and whether or not you have cuts in the format of the tournaments. And let's not even get into the number one requirement of tours, which is a spirit of inclusion and non-discrimination, which mm. is you know, a stout request for people to chop off heads. Mm. But the, the fact is that Liv has not met the criteria. The day may come when they do meet that criteria, and if they do meet that criteria, they should be awarded world ranking points like anyone else. But what you're seeing now is a lot of bluster and empty threats from Greg Norman and these backdoor stunts to try to ally themselves with an almost defunct minotaur in North Africa to try to short circuit the process. And to me, that just there's a stench of desperation off of that because what we've seen, what Greg Norman has told his players over the years, which is that the PGA Tour can't suspend you. Well, they can. That you would continue getting world ranking points when you're not. Yeah. And he also told them, you know, you're going to be healed as visionaries who change this game rather than stooges for Saudi sports washing, which is what a lot of them have been criticized mm -hmm. for. So there, there's a real air of desperation around this search for world ranking points because they are, of course, the main avenue for a lot of those players to get into majors they're not otherwise eligible for. And those players are sinking in the fast. OWGR, and they're sinking fast. And I think it explains why they are so desperate and why they want to fast-track this, and by pointing out the strength of the players that they do have. And we keep hearing the name Dustin Johnson. Clearly, you know, was a former world number one, a two-time major champ, one of the best players of this generation. So they're pointing to the players like DJ and Cameron Smith as reasons they should get these points but you're right. Typically, this is a process. And I think the desperation comes from the fact that a lot of these players who have been expecting to play in the major championships over the next couple of years may not have a route into those majors if they're outside the top 50, for example. Yeah, and <clears throat> the tenor of Greg Norman's comments on it are becoming kind of angrier and angrier. I mean, mm -hmm. he, he this week 
has, as he has several times, pointed out the composition of the board of the official World Golf Rankings and how they're all biased against him in his mind. Again, alleging a conspiracy that he thinks exists to stop him from going into business, which he already is in. Right. He's literally claiming there's a conspiracy to stop him doing what he has done already. And that, that's going to be the, the theme you're going to keep hearing is that there are biased people on the board mm. who simply will not, under any circumstances, give them the world ranking points. But that's not even a question until they're actually eligible. And you have to be eligible and meet the criteria for a year before you can be awarded points. Mm. They are not yet eligible and have signaled no intent to become eligible. So the, he's getting a, a little ahead of himself here. I mean, the other day he told people on the, the board of the official World Golf Rankings, which includes all the majors right. and, and the governing bodies, that they need to grow up, which is quite a statement from a man who had a larger than life-size bust of himself in his own garden. Mm. Sounds like it's going to be a long, drawn-out process, much longer than the World Golf Hall of Fame member Greg Norman would like. All right, folks, coming up next on Golf Today, we'll continue to meet the grads. Uh, this young lady from Australia, a new face on the LPGA Tour next year. We will meet her coming up on Golf Today. Welcome back to Golf Today. On Sunday, the season-long race for the card on the Epson Tour reached its conclusion as 10 players locked up their PGA, LPGA Tour cards for next season. The Ascensus race for the card final top 10 looked like this with Linnea Strom, who joined us on the show a couple of weeks ago, finishing in the top spot. Lucy Lee there, a familiar name to many, in the third spot. And you see further down there, Damon, Gina Kim, Grace Kim, Celine Borgia, but number five, Grace Kim, earned her card too. Sure did. From Australia, one of those players to pick up that card on Sunday, 21 years of age from Sydney, became the first Australian since Hannah Green in 2017 to earn her LPGA Tour card through the Epson Tour. Kim's season was built on a breakthrough win at the Iowa Golf Classic in May with four more top 10 finishes besides. Take a look at Grace's bio. Five worldwide wins, including that one on the Epson Tour. Four top fives besides the 2021 Australian Women's Amateur by seven and competed in the 2021 Augusta National Women's Amateur. And I believe Grace joins the program now. Congratulations, Grace. How would you describe the emotion of securing your LPGA card after grinding and grinding all season long? Oh, I was super stoked. You know, it it is a grind for a year. Um, so managing myself well mentally and physically and then making sure I actually secured the card in the end was a big relief for sure. Grace, in the actual Epson Tour Championship at the weekend, you'd missed the cut. Did that make for uh, a nervous weekend for you as you're watching where the cards fell by the end of the weekend? Definitely. I was mentally struggling for sure. You know, the golf didn't follow as much as I wanted it to. Um, and anyone could have won that week. Anyone could have switched positions. And just knowing that it was a tight match um, really had me like just on my phone watching the leaderboard the whole two days. Uh, but I knew I was in a, you know, a safe-ish place. So I sort of had to tell myself, you just got to wait it out until the last part on Sunday. So I tried to put myself in a relaxed position, but it just, yeah, it, it was tough. Grace, it's been quite a time in Aussie golf. Minji Lee, Hannah Green playing so well on the LPGA. Who are some of your golf heroes and why? 
I'm going to be biased, but uh, Kari Webb's just, she can't be beaten in my heart. Um, you know, she's obviously achieved so much. She's a Hall of Famer as well. She's, you know, her whole career is just a dream, but also being able to have the heart to give back to the Australians is something that I really look up to and hopefully I can do it as well. Grace, I'm curious how the mentality changes during the season on the Epson Tour. You got your victory back in May. Do you set out at that point to finish number one in this census race to the card? Or in the back of your head, are you protecting the position just to make sure you're in that top ten at the year's end? I think throughout the year, it was a bit of a mixture. You know, when my game was at its peak, I tried and, you know, always go for the win. I guess everyone turns up just to win the whole tournament anyways. Um, but when the game's not well, just making sure I, you know, play conservatively or safe, um, play aggressive appropriately and making sure that, um, you know, just not getting too out of my way with my mental um, aspect of the game was probably something that I have sort of learned throughout the year, but it can always be um, tweaked on. Grace, take us inside that award ceremony, that card ceremony. You guys are all standing on stage shoulder to shoulder. Are you laughing, exhaling, wiping your brow? Like, what, what, What's the conversation like among the 10 ladies that are, are going to the LPGA? Honestly, I think we're all just excited. We, like, obviously knew um, the top <coughs> at least six or seven were quite in a safe position. So we knew the order, but just... Yeah, we were all just so thrilled to be able to actually get it done. To have the card in our hands, the membership card physically in our hands was quite special. And yeah, we just had a blast. As you're heading into the 2023 LPGA Tour season, what do you look at as things that you need to, to work on and strengthen? And what are your expectations for the year? Um, physically, I've always struggled to... As a girl, it's a blessing, but I've always struggled to gain weight, um, to turn that mass into muscle, then, you know, transition that into, you know, hitting it longer as well. Um, people are starting to vomit, so I'm trying to catch up, but I've always been a step behind on that part. So just making sure during the off-season I um, spend a lot of my time and prioritise my physical part of the game. I guess my expectations for the year is just to be able to embrace everything. Um, you know, it is my first year on the LPGA, as, as weird as it sounds, me saying it, but, um, yeah, just, I think, playing my best and giving it my all is probably my number one goal. Grace, what's the planning like? Uh, like you're looking at rental cars already, budget, you know, National, Hertz, Avis. Are you looking at flights? Are you an aisle, window person? I mean, you can be on a lot of airplanes. How are you planning to kind of put this schedule together? I guess just um, we haven't, I haven't officially uh, received the LPGA schedule yet, but um, I guess just making sure that I make smart decisions, not, you know, wearing myself so much out that it takes a toll on my body. Um, you know, as much as I am a rookie on the LPGA, I would like to play everything. It just doesn't follow that way sometimes. Um, so just making sure I make smart decisions and then, yeah, Travelling is obviously going to be a lot harder than it was this year, so making sure I'm on top of that as well. Make sure you hydrate on those long flights. I know you're heading to Australia yeah. from Orlando. I hope you receive a hero's welcome back home. Congratulations on getting your LPGA Tour card, Grace. Thanks for the time. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
Well, the 10 Epson Tour grads will be chasing their dreams on the LPGA Tour. And next up, we'll be joined by someone who just realized hers. Jody Yurchadoff, the latest champion on the LPGA Tour, is here. Well, she was the feel-good story of the weekend in golf. After working her way through years of injuries and frustrations, Jody Yurchadoff claimed her first victory on the LPGA Tour in her 246th start and she held off three major champions to earn it. We'll find out if she's woken up from that dream as Golf Today continues. Golf Today. I'm Damon, he is Eamon. Been a fun show so far. I love speaking to, to Grace Kim, talking about the next year for her going to the LPGA Tour. Wants to play a lot, and a very heavy schedule. Easier to do, I think, on the Epson Tour where you can drive from kind of tournament to tournament. Maybe a little bit harder, I would imagine, on the LPGA. The insurance rates are going to be a lot higher trying to rent as many cars as she's planning to next year as well. But it's just a sign that the LPGA Tour is in good hands with that next generation of players mm. who have that enthusiasm. Also have the clarity to see where they need to improve right. heading into that next stage and what impressed me as well is that she chose one of the most honorable people in this game as, as a hero and an mm. idol of hers in, in Carrie Webb somebody who's always stood by the, the kind of the values of what this game ought to be incredibly principled individual indeed speaking of the LPGA tour on Sunday Jody you were chat off finally became a winner on the LPGA tour in her 246 start Finished with a one under par 71. Good enough for a one shot win in the Meta Hill Championship in California. And my goodness, this is a world class player we're talking about. Solheim Cup team member, runner up to the 2017 AIG Women's Open. 28 career top 10 finishes on the LPGA and has competed on the tour since 2011. And it is great to welcome Jody Ewart Shadoff to this very show. Congratulations, Jody. I'm just curious, you know, what have the last 36 to 48 hours been like for you in this new reality as an LPGA winner? Um, it, it feels like a dream. Every day I wake up, I'm like, oh, I was dreaming that, and then I realized that um, it really happened. So, yeah, it's been um, kind of surreal the past uh, couple of days, but, um, yeah, just trying to enjoy the moment. Jody, you've been close before on the LPGA Tour. You were runner-up three times. What was different this time? Did it feel different to you during the competition? Um, you know, obviously, I got off to a really good start, and um, I just felt really comfortable all week. Obviously, you know, Saturday, Sunday, my nerves um, kind of kicked in, but I felt like this time I was in control. Um, so that that was probably what helped me the most is that I just felt in control of those nerves and I could feel like I could play under that pressure. Did you start to worry a little bit when you lost your lead on Sunday thinking, oh gosh, here we go again, or were you really able to stay present and in the moment? Yeah, I mean, obviously uh, losing those uh, four shots in the, on the front nine um, wasn't what I had planned, but... Um, yeah, I just try to stay in the moment and just try and take every shot as it came and just really just try and stay patient, which I think that I did a really good job of. So, You started working with Grant Waite 
a while back, Jody. And you know, you had back issues that I've, I've read almost ended your career, or put it in some doubt a year ago. What did you work on to change to, to get more robust physically? Yeah, we, we've been working a lot on um, just changing my hip rotation a little bit, um, using my hips more throughout the swing. Um, and I think that just really offloaded my lower back. Um, you know, I herniated my L5-S1 disc uh, last January. So, um, you know, that was a really tough start to last season. And um, just the past year, I've just had no real issues with um, my back. You know, obviously my physios have really helped with that, but I think that my swing is really dynamic now and I'm really starting to use my body really well. So, and I just have a lot of control over my swing and the club head. So it, it definitely helped. Jody, I imagine there are hundreds of thousands of women around the world who would have gladly taken your career without the win at the Medi-Heel. But how difficult was it being such a world-class player, Solheim Cupper, many times over without a victory? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, winning an LPGN was, you know, my number one goal. Um, and I just felt like um, my career, you know, without that win would, you know, I, I just um, wouldn't have felt fulfilled without it. So I, that's just been my number one goal for like the last 10 years. But finally, I got it. And um, I guess better late than never. <laughs> Does it add to the confidence that you gain from the victory to know who you held off for that win, Jody? Because you're three major champions there in Yukasaso, in Georgia Hall, and Danielle Kang right behind you. That's got to add a little extra layer of pride to what you accomplished. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the past few years, my, my golf game has been there. It's just self-confidence is really what's held me back. And now I know that I can do it. Um, I know I have the confidence and I know I have the game to pull through and I know that I can play under the nerves. So be able to beat all these world-class players really just um, gives my confidence a huge boost, definitely. Now, Jody, your husband, Adam, sportscaster in Orlando, is a golf buddy of mine. He was glued to the television. Let's watch, and I'll have you react on the other side. Yes! 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 <laughs> What's it meant having him share this journey with you, Jody? Yeah, I mean, it means everything. Um... You know, not to have him there obviously yes! was um, yes! was tough. But you know, I think yes! fun the funniest part about this video is the dogs in the background. <laughs> They're like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, you know, we've both wanted this for for the last eleven years that I've been on tour. So to be able to you know get the job done and share it with him is uh, definitely special. How do your goals change now, Jody? when you've got this win that you've been seeking for so long? You've clearly played well in major championships before being runner-up in the Women's British Open. Is that the next goal, or how do you reset your goals for what the next one is? Yeah, I mean, definitely every, every time I tee up, I want to win. Um, so it's really just taking every tournament as it comes. And, um, you know, obviously getting a major championship would, would probably be the next big goal for me, for sure. Um, you know, to to put a British Open on the on my resume would, um, you know, I, I feel like uh, that would be the ultimate. Jody, we uh, heard you talk about the strength of your putting this past week. We had Charlie Hall on the other day. She won the week before you. One of the things she admitted was that putting practice is kind of boring. Is that something you can <laughs> relate to? I mean, can you relate to what she means? <laughs> 
definitely. I mean, you know, throughout my career, I've been a little bit of a range rat. I, I love standing on the range and hitting golf balls for hours. So I think, you know, what's changed about my, my practice, you know, working with Grant has, has been spending most of my time on the putting green. And, I, you know, I've started to see, um, you know, the rewards for that. Um, you know, I've had a lot of consistent finishes in, over the past six months. And I, I definitely feel like my putting is... Um, why I've had those finishes and it's why I won this week for sure. Jody, we've seen a lot of players this year who've, who've reached their mid-30s decide that they didn't want any more, that the life was too much of a grind. You're 34. Had it ever crossed your mind to, to walk away or were you determined to stay in this game until you achieved what you achieved this weekend? Yeah, I mean, last year... Um, just going through the injury that I went through um, and then not playing so well because of that. Um, I definitely contemplated um, not carrying on. Um, it was tough. Um, but, you know, I decided to just give it another shot and, you know, just give it another go and um, just fight for, and I, you know, fight for the win and um, fight for my career. Cause that's what I love to do, you know? Um, and um, I'm, I'm really glad that I did. My colleague from Golf Week, Beth Ann Nichols, had a wonderful story about you yesterday, Jody, where she quoted your mother as saying, you know how many people in your hometown that know you because when the Solheim Cup is on at 2 a.m., all the lights are on in the street because they're watching at home. What do you think <laughs> those neighbours are thinking now? Yeah, I mean, I've seen so many messages over the past couple of days from people at home. Um, it's really incredible to see. I mean, I'm from a very, very small town and the north of England and um, everybody, you know, I, I'm grateful for the support. I mean, everybody loves to watch and everyone's just really proud of um, what I've able to accomplish in my career, but especially what I was able to accomplish on Sunday. So it just makes me proud of where I'm from. Um, so, yeah, it's cool to see. Well, Jody, your perseverance is something to behold. Congratulations. Tell Adam, hey, I may ring him <laughs> the next time I'm in Orlando. And if you want to join us on the tee, you're welcome to as yeah. well. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right. LPGA winner, Jody, you were chat. What a story. I mean, the perseverance and the injuries she had to overcome and the doubt that you overcome when you're a tour member for 11 years and you finally break through. Can you imagine how easy it would have been to walk away for all those years because you had built in excuses when the when the injury is there and and she didn't do that she kept seeking out a different way and other people have had success with grant wake mm. as well and they also talked about working on her putting which had been a frustration for her because she's always been known uh, as a very very strong ball striker yeah. and that has to be all the more frustrating to be so good tee to green and then just that little bit of erosion on the green that frustration adds up over the years. So it really is a testament to not only just perseverance, but basic character yeah. that she showed to, to stick in there until she gets that win. Can't wait to see what comes next. Absolutely. And to be on Solheim Cup after Solheim Cup uh, around other winners, though, and you haven't gotten that, <coughs> that win and been able to check that box, and now she doesn't have to answer that question anymore. An LPGA winner, an international star, it's just such a neat, neat moment for her. She's going to be like you, Damon. She's going to be carrying a trophy around... For quite a while. Well, winners do. That's what we do. Of course, Amy. hers was an individual trophy. Yours was, <laughs> you only get 25% of that trophy you have. Well said. I definitely belong at this desk. Congratulations to Jody, husband Adam, and the pup as well. And win number one out in California golf today.